0: Chapter Fourteen of the Singing Mouse Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Schlicker. The Singing Mouse Stories by Emerson Hoff. Chapter Fourteen The Beast Terrible. The little room was resplendent one night with a fire which flamed and flickered gloriously. IT SET IN MOTION MANY SHADOWS WHICH HAD THEIR HOME IN THE CORNERS OF THE WALLS, AND BADE THEM CEASE THEIR SULLENNESS, AND COME FORTH TO DANCE IN THE RIOT OF THE HOUR. AND SO EACH SHADOW FOUND ITS PARTNER IN A RAY OF FIRELIGHT, AND THERE THEY DANCED. THEY DANCED ABOUT THE TANGLED FRONT OF THE BIG BISON'S HEAD WHICH HUNG UPON THE WALL. THEY CROSSED THE GRINNING SKULL OF THE GREY WOLF. They softened the eyes of the antelope's head and made dark lines behind the long-tined antlers of the elk and of the deer. They brought forth to view in alternate eclipse and definition the great, grim bear's head which hung above the mantle. Every trophy gathered in years of the chase, once perhaps prized, now perhaps forgotten, was brought into evidence, nor could one escape noting each one and giving to each for this one night more the story which belonged to it. I sat and looked upon them all, and so there passed a panorama of the years. There, thought I, is the stag which once fell far in the pine woods of the North. This antelope takes me back to the hard white plains. These huge antlers could grow only amid the forests of the Rockies. That wolf. How many of the hounds he mangled I remember. And the giant bear. It was a good fight he made, perhaps dangerous, had the old rifle there been less sure. Yes, yes, of course I could recall each incident. Of course they all were thrilling, exciting, delightful, glorious, all those things. Of course the heart must have leapt in those days. The blood must have surged in those moments. The pulse must have grown hard. The mouth must have been dry with the ardor of the chase at those times. But now but why? Does the heart leap to-night? Do the veins fill with the rush of the blood, tumultuous in the joy of stimulus or danger? Why does not the old eagerness come back? Which of these trophies is the one to bring this back again? To which of these grim, silent heads belongs the keenest story? "'I know,' said the singing mouse, which unknown to me had come and placed itself upon the table." "'I know.' "'And it climbed upon my arm which lay across the table. "'The fire shone fair upon its little form, "'so that in silhouette its outline was delicate and keen "'as an image cut from the fiery heart of a noble opal stone. "'And what is it that you know?' I asked. "'Maker of dreams, tell me what you know to-night.' "'The singing mouse balanced and moved itself in harmony "'with the beat of the fire's rays.' I LOOKED AT IT SO CLOSELY THAT A DREAM CAME UPON MY EYES, SO THAT THE VOICE OF THE SINGING MOUSE SOUNDED FAR AWAY AND FAINT, THOUGH IT WAS STILL CLEAR AND RESONANT IN ITS OWN PECULIAR WAY, AND VERY FINE AND SWEET. I WILL TELL YOU WHICH TROPHY YOU MOST PRIZE, IT SAID. I WILL SHOW YOU YOUR Iliad OF THE CHASE. DO YOU NOT REMEMBER, DO YOU NOT SEE THIS, THIS MOST EVENTFUL HUNTING OF ALL YOUR LIFE? and so I gazed where the singing mouse pointed, quite beyond the dusty walls, and there I saw, as it had said, I heard not the thunder of the hoofs of buffalo, nor the faint crack of the twig beneath the panther's foot. I saw not the lurching gallop of the long-jawed wolf, nor the high elastic bounding of the deer, the level swinging speed of the antelope, the slinking of the lynx, the crashing flight of the wapiti, No, it was none of these that came to mind, nor did the mountains, nor the plains, nor the wilderness of the pines. But when the singing mouse whispered, "'Do you see?' I murmured in reply, "'I see it all again. I saw the small low hills, well covered with short oaks and hazel bushes, which rolled on away from the village, far out, almost to the delectable mountains, which are well known to be upon the edge of the world.' Through these low hills a winding road led on, a road whose end no man had ever reached, but which went to places where no doubt many wonders were, perhaps even to the delectable mountains. For so a wise man once had said, his words hearkened to with awe. This was a pleasant road, lined with brave sumacs, with bushes of the wild blackberry, and with small hazel-trees, which soon would offer fruit for the regular harvest of the fall, this same to be spread for drying on the woodshed roof. It was perhaps wise curiosity as to the crop of nuts which had brought thus far from home these two figures, an enormous distance, perhaps at least a mile beyond what heretofore had been the utmost limit of their wanderings. It was not, perhaps, safe to venture so far. There were known to be strange creatures in these woods, ONE KNEW NOT WHAT. IT WAS THEREFORE WELL THAT THE YOUNGER BOY SHOULD CLASP TIGHTLY THE HAND OF THE OLDER, HIM WHO BORE WITH SUCH CONFIDENCE THE BOW AND ARROWS, POTENT WEAPONS OF THOSE DAYS GONE BY. IT WAS HALF WITH FEAR AND HALF WITH CURIOSITY THAT THESE TWO WANDERED ON, ALONG THIS MYSTERIOUS ROAD, THROUGH THIS WILD AND UNKNOWN WILDERNESS, SO FAR FROM ANY HABITATION OF MANKIND. THE ZEAL OF THE EXPLORER HELD THEM FAST. They scarce dared fare farther on, but yet would not turn back. The noises of the woods thrilled them. The sudden clanging note of the jay nearby caused them to stop, hard in mouth for the moment. Strange rustlings in the leaves made them cross the road and step more quickly. Yet the cawing of a crow across the woods seemed friendly, and a small brown bird which hopped ahead along the road was intimate and kind. "'and thus touched the founts of bravery in the two venturous hearts. "'Certainly they would go on. "'It was no matter about the sun. "'This was the Valley of Agilon, perhaps, "'of which one had heard in the class at Sabbath school, "'and surely this was a good, droning, yellow-bodied bee. "'Where did the bees go to when they rose up straight into the air? "'And this little mouse, what became of it in winter? "'And, ah, what was that?' THAT AWFUL BURST OF SOUND. CLUTCH CLOSER, LITTLE BROTHER, THOUGH BOTH BE PALE. HOW SHOULD EITHER OF YOU YET KNOW THE THUNDEROUS FLIGHT OF THE WILD grouse? THIS GREAT BIRD WHICH WHIRLED AWAY THROUGH THE BROWN LEAVES OF THE OAKS? FATHER MUST BE ASKED ABOUT THIS TREMENDOUS, STARTLING BIRD. MEANTIME, THE HEART HAVING BEGUN TO BEAT AGAIN, LET THE TWO ADVENTURERS PRESS YET A LITTLE FARTHER ON. AND SO WITH FEARS AND TREMBLINGS, WITH DOUBTS AND JOYS, through briars and flowers, through hindrances and recompenses, along this crooked, winding, unknown road which led on out into the unknown, they wandered, as in life we all are wandering to-day. But hush, listen! What is it, this sound, approaching, coming directly toward the road? Surely it must be the footfall of some large animal, this cadenced rustling on the leaves. It comes. It will cross near. There it has turned, it is near the road, look! there it is, a great animal, half the length of one's arm, with bushy long red tail arched high for easier running, its grayish coat showing in the bars of sunlight, its eyes bright and black and keen. Had it not been said there were wild animals in these woods? Each heart now thumped hard with the surging blood it bore, but it was now the blood of hunters and not of boys. Fear vanished at the sight of the quarry, and the only thought remaining was that of battle and of victory. Well for the animal that it ran, ill for it that it ran down the road and not back into the cover. The bow twanged, the arrow flew, blunt but keenly sped. Down went the smitten prey. Peon, forward, victory! But, ho, the creature rallies, recovers. It gathers its forces, it flies. Pursuit, then. But pursuit apparently useless, for the animal has found refuge deep in this hollow stump, beyond the reach of longest mortal arm. Rustle now, ye leaves, and threaten now all ye boughs with menacings. Roar, grouse, and clamor on, all ye jangling jays. No longer can ye strike terror into these two souls, small though they be. The heart of the hunter has now been born for each. Fear and defeat are known no longer in the compass of their thoughts. Follow, 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 so spake the good old savagery of the natural man. Better for this creature had it never disturbed these two with its footfalls approaching among the leaves. Out of its refuge now must it come. Yea, though one lost a thousand suppers that night, and though a thousand stones lay waiting in the dark along the road to hurt bare, unprotected toes... The sun forgot its part and sank red though reluctant beyond the delectable mountains. thou moon, this is Agelon, be kindly for by moonlight one still may labour, and here is labour to be done. Every blade in the barlow knives is broken, the hole in the stump yields not to slashings nor to attempts to pry it open. The prey is still unreached. What is to be done? The elder hunter bethinks him of a solution for this problem. The broken blade will do to gnaw off this bough, and it will serve to make a split in the end of it. And if one be fortunate, and if this split bestride the tail of the concealed animal, and if the stick be twisted, I've got him, cried this philosopher for his eureka. And then there was twisting and pulling, and scratching and squeaking, and bitten fingers and tears but after all was over there lay the squirrel vanquished at the feet of these young barbarians who had wandered out from home into the unknown lands of earth. Cruel barbarians, thoughtless, relentless, but how much has the world changed? The moon was over Ajalon when these two hunters, after all the perils of the long black road, marched up into the dooryard, bearing on a pole between them their quarry, well suspended by the gambrels, "'My boys, I feared that you were lost!' exclaims the tearful mother who stands waiting in the door. But the silent father, standing back of her in the glow of the lamplight, sees what the pole is bearing, and in his eye there is a smile. After that, motherly reproach, fatherly inquiry, plenteous bread and milk, many eager explanations and much descriptive narrative simultaneously uttered by two mouths eager both to eat and to talk.' I SEE IT ALL, I SAID TO THE SINGING MOUSE. IT ALL COMES BACK AGAIN. NO CHASE WAS EVER OR WILL EVER BE SO GREAT AS THIS ONE. BACK THERE, NEAR THE DELECTABLE MOUNTAINS, IN THOSE DAYS GONE BY, THOSE INCOMPARABLE DAYS OF YOUTH. I THANK YOU, SINGING MOUSE, BUT I BEG YOU, DO NOT GO FOR YET A TIME. THE HEADS UPON THE WALL GRIN MUCH, AND THE DUST LIES THICK UPON THEM ALL. End of chapter fourteen recording by Morgan Schlicker